On today's episode of Locked on Suns, the stretch run starts tonight in Dallas. We rank each key Suns figure in terms of pressure down the stretch of the season. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen to kick off your Thursday, to kick off the stretch run of the NBA season. A week. It felt like a lot more between games, but we are here now. If you are finding us for the first time, join us down the stretch of the season by hitting follow or subscribe wherever you're finding the show. We are free and available everywhere, including YouTube. Just hit that button, follow or subscribe. Get a new show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. Become an everydayer. Get locked on to the Phoenix Suns all season long right here with this here show. Today's episode brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Ranking the key Suns figures from top to bottom in terms of of pressure. We're not going to get to everybody. I'm not going to tell you how much pressure Teo Maladon has on him. But we're going to get to all of the biggest presences for this Suns squad. Starting with the person who I think has the most pressure riding on him. And it might surprise you. I have Frank Vogel. I have Frank Vogel. And... It's for a few reasons. One, this roster looks a lot different than it did at the beginning of the season. He has had to adjust a lot. Game number two of the season, right? Devin Booker gets hurt against against the Warriors. The Suns go to LA. They play the Lakers. They lose by five. They fall apart in the fourth quarter. Lose that quarter by 17 points. You had Josh Okogie and Eric Gordon starting that game because obviously Beal was out as well. Jordan Goodwin got the most minutes off the bench. He's not on the team anymore. Second most minutes off the bench, Drew Eubanks. Third most, Yudawat Nabe, not on the team anymore. Fourth most, Nasir Little, not going to be in the rotation anymore. So, that is three players who were not are not going to be in the rotation anymore. Two players who should not be in the starting lineup if, if the team is healthy. And a whole lot of adjustments ever since then. It's not to say I don't think Frank Vogel can do it. This is not about who I think is going to fail or succeed. It is just about who has the biggest burden to get things figured out. And Vogel has a heck of a task in front of him with the trade for Royce O'Neal. Do you start him? Do you not start him? We will get to him later. 
the addition of Thaddeus Young. Is he in the rotation for sure? How much does he play? The perpetual question of what do you do with Josh Okogie? What do you do at backup center? Can Bull Bull play? Even what we think the rotation is right now maybe isn't what it's going to be in game one of the playoffs. And there's not a lot of time to get that figured out. Less than two months. That being said, I wanted to look back at the season when Vogel helped lead the Lakers to a championship. And at that year's deadline, they didn't do much. Okay? So, again, this is not a... a, They signed Markeith Morris on a buyout. And then during the shutdown, they signed Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. And Avery Bradley stayed home. Dog is uh, making a guest appearance off camera as he uh, makes a very loud appearance on microphone. But that's that's different, right? So Vogel, that team did crescendo over the course of the season. You would have to say, right? They, you know, they do win a bunch early. They start out very hot, but. Then around January, I think they lost the Lakers. I'm talking about the 2019-2020 Lakers. They lost four games the whole month of January after a four-game losing streak around Christmas. Then they go on a huge winning streak in the beginning of February. They're a little inconsistent in the bubble, like the regular season. They only they rested players. They used it as a tune-up. They went three and five. And then... None of their playoff series went longer than five games, and the finals only went six. So, I think that was Vogel pulling the strings successfully of a veteran championship caliber squad, but this is a different task, and I think there's a ton of pressure on him to figure that out. Number two is Devin Booker. The reason being that his night-to-night playmaking is what this team is going to live and die by. And you maybe could have put him first. I mean, maybe it's a 1A, 1B situation, whatever the case may be. Booker needs to be an elite, efficient playmaker on a night-to-night basis, balancing, looking for his own shot, which is important for this group, especially driving to the basket, getting to the line, taking pull-up threes, with setting his teammates up playing fast versus settling into maybe his preferred rhythm, which is a little more of a half-court game, a little bit more, you know, ISO, dribble, dribble, dribble stuff. I think he's improved over the course of the season at that balance, getting Beal in there, getting Grayson Allen up to speed. Some of the other adjustments this team has been able to make, I think, have made Booker more comfortable in that role. His numbers are as good as ever. His efficiency has not suffered here. He's getting to the line more than he did last year. He's getting to the line in line with, you know, the years where they were a worse team and he had, you know, more defensive attention on him and everything else. So that's good. Obviously, the assists are up. But it is just a different animal to 
successfully engineer a and execute a game plan to win over and over in the playoffs. And we talked about this a little bit with Steven Perjone on, on Wednesday's show, right? The Suns going from a an impressive offense to a brilliant offense. Can they pick at an opponent's weak spots, right? Can they? And these are all things that I think that they're going to need to figure out, not just when the playoffs hit, but right now. Dallas on Thursday, perfect example. Can they again attack Luka the way that they did? Right? When, if, if they face the Nuggets in the first round, which feels like how it's trending, can they manipulate Jokic the way that Chris Paul did so expertly in 2021? It doesn't have to be as surgical as the team used to be when Monty and Chris were really dictating what the offense was. We know this team's going to play looser. We know Booker's not the only playmaker on the team. He's not the point guard in the way we think of it when it is a Chris Paul type in there. But the ball's going to be in his hands at the end of the day more than anyone else. And that comfort has to be there because, again, it could be the Nuggets in the first round. And I do think there's a little bit of growth still left to see from this overall offense and book Book's approach is going to be a big part of what dictates how good it gets. There is also a question, and this is not really going to necessarily crop up in the, the stretch run, but a couple of other things that I'm looking at with Booker. Can he take his usual leap in terms of postseason defense? I would say he did it last year. He did it in 2021. 2022 postseason was a weird one for Booker. He obviously had the injury in the first round. By the end of the second round, it clearly looked like he was hurt. I wouldn't say offensively he was at his best. Certainly didn't look like it defensively. You know, they didn't even really go to him as an option against Luka. So I feel good about it, but it's a question. And then, of course, can you do all of that and not get hurt? And that's a, a, you know, a very knock on wood type of statement to make. But at the same time, that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of physical exertion. And so balancing your, your, your physical health when you're playing uh, repeatedly in these high-level games in the postseason is easier said than done as well. Next up, which part of the big three comes next? Does Durant or Bradley Beal have more pressure heading into the final sprint of the season? I'll give you my answer coming up next. First, today's show brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. This is a perfect one for me because I would not have my current job if it were not for LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I will give you a personal praise for LinkedIn because... Look, this business that I'm in that I, for some reason, chose is not an easy one to find full-time work in. It's a lot of freelance. It's a lot of being passed up for things you know you're qualified for. It's a lot of who you know. And LinkedIn cut out all of the crap for me in a really, really awesome way. I was able to find a job I was qualified for, see exactly what the requirements were going to be, even see the pay, and better yet, find the people who were hiring for it. I do work at a small business. It is a media company the people who run that company were listed as part of the posting. 
They were listed as part of the employees of the company within LinkedIn. LinkedIn is not just another job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals like me that you can tap into. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. I hired the minute I saw that. I interviewed. I applied and then interviewed as soon as I saw the job posting go up for my gig. And I ultimately was able to get it because of the great qualities of the LinkedIn job posting. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Keeping it rolling. Let's talk about the third highest pressure player. We're not going to do, you know, uh, David Fisdale or anything here. James Jones, his job's done. So it's Vogel and then it's players. I want to remind everybody to sign up for the Locked on Suns Insider Community. Be in the know about the Suns all the time via text messages straight from me. My analysis and observations on every single game. My thoughts and take on any news or rumors around the team. Injury updates. Maybe another buyout player, although I doubt it at this point. And all of the quotes and interviews that are going around, I keep track of all of it and give you my thoughts on all of it so you don't have to worry. You can sign up to join the Locked On Suns Insiders at the link in the show description below or by visiting joinsubtext.com slash Suns. I'm going on a trip. I'm going to be missing some shows next week. If you want my thoughts on the Suns games in the meantime, on all the things happening, this is going to be your best way to do it by signing up Four text alerts with the Locked On Suns insider community that is growing very quickly, and I am very thankful for. That's going to be your way. But let's get to the next one, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is third on the Phoenix Suns pressure power rankings for the stretch run of the season. Why? We just haven't seen a lot of him, right? I mean, doesn't really have to go much deeper than that at the at the base level. How does he fit? I think we know. I think, you know, my my biggest hope is can he have a few more of the offensive explosions that he was able to put together in the Lakers game, for instance, or at a couple of other moments throughout the season? Can we see that more consistently? Can that feel less like a rarity and more like a, a an actual part of this team's arsenal? To do that, he has to be aggressive. I think he has to continue to, to, to feel comfortable and bomb away from three. I think he has to cut back on the turnovers. Right? And defensively, what's his role? There have been a couple moments. You know, I think the Pelicans game when he guarded Zion. There have been a few others where, you know, his on-ball defense has been really solid. I think he's best as a team defender. I think he's best guarding up a position. And maybe the reality is just going to be that if Booker can step it up, if we maybe do see a starting lineup change to increase the defensive floor of the team, that they can get away with Beal just guarding the least threatening player on the opposing team, right? Maybe if it's Denver, he can just guard 
Contavious Caldwell Pope, at least with the starters, right? Or, or even Aaron Gordon, frankly, although I don't know how that would go, you know? Maybe that's what it is, but if, if they play small and he's out there, everybody has to defend and be physical and give effort and not get and contain the ball in, in that type of a lineup. Can he do that? At the end of the day, these runs are what he wanted. This type of stretch run to the season, chasing home court advantage, proving that you're a championship contender, this is what Beal wanted. He had a no-trade clause. He could have stayed with the Wizards and dealt with the mediocrity of their situation for longer, right? Seemed like he had some interest in Miami. Well, they're in the play-in. They're not as good as the Suns. So this is... This is a big moment for Bradley Beal. This is right in the thick of exactly the type of high-stakes basketball he wanted to be playing in the winter and the spring. And it's all there for him to seize. Next up, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's going to do whatever the Suns need him to do at a very high level. It might be too high to put him here. There's not a lot left for him to prove, right? But I do think there's something to be said for peaking in time for the playoffs. I think... uh, Making a huge impact and hopefully playing fewer minutes maybe would be nice. That's not really on him. That's not really something he needs to prove or any sort of pressure. But that would be good. As a team, can he you know, help be a, a big driving force in them getting some dominating wins you know, and, and maybe being able to sit more often and not having these fourth quarter collapses? I think I give him a little bit of ownership of the team side just like I did with Booker and Vogel for that reason, because he's a great, great player, probably the most talented two-way guy on this roster. But there's two things I'm looking at with Durant, right? Can he maintain the level of defensive impact every single night down the stretch and into the postseason that he has during this turnaround, right? Since December 26th, the Suns are eighth in offense, eighth in defense. They're second in offense. They're eighth, seventh or eighth. They might even be seventh in defense, in terms of defensive rating. And a big part of that has been Durant committing to taking on high-level matchups every single night, whether that is Luka Doncic, whether that is De'Aaron Fox, whether that is Kawhi Leonard, whatever the case may be. Can they rely on that Swiss Army knife ability on the defensive end every night down the stretch where they have one of the most difficult schedules in the league and punch above their weight, chase 50 wins, chase that top four seed. They're going to need it. And then, as we're looking toward the playoffs, I think Durant, last season and the postseason, by the time it was all said and done, he addressed just about every one of my concerns. I don't really care that that his threes didn't go in. I I don't really care that he looked uncomfortable yet. Of course, he was. He was uncomfortable because he had like eight, he had eight games with the team and had never been traded before in his life. Yeah, he was uncomfortable. And so, of course, he's going to look like that. But the one thing I do have my eye on is can he maintain the level of driving aggressiveness, getting downhill, working for better shots, and doing that all while keeping his turnovers low. Because the one thing that I do still have a little bit of nervousness about with him heading into the playoffs because it was a trend 
in 2022 with the Nets when they got swept, and it was a trend last year, even though the Suns performed well as a team. His turnovers have been very high. Teams know that they can overload help when he puts the ball on the ground and poke it away or make him force him into a bad shot and whatever. And, you know, I, I, for a lot of you who have made fun of me about this, I know I had a, a panic attack, an overreaction about it after the first game of the season that I felt like this was a trend. But he has proven, proven me wrong. He is getting to the basket more than he did since the Achilles. He is attempting more of his shots around the basket. He continues to get to the line a ton. All good indicators. Can that continue? I see no reason to think it won't, but I have my eye on it. Let's move over to the bench, the role players at the very least. As we close out the show, I'll give you which role player has the most pressure on them coming up next. First, this show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook and the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are big fans of FanDuel, and I'm sure you are as well. But if for some reason you have not taken advantage of their wonderful offers yet, you're in luck. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. I am looking right now actively at the Suns line, and it has moved in the Suns' favor. It was, I believe, three points when it opened that the Dallas Mavericks were favored by at home. It is now two and a half, which I believe is the uh, add-on for being the home team, meaning that it is basically a pick Both outcomes are negative 110-ish. Maybe that's what you stay away from. What I like is the total over-under. Over 244 feels nice. I know that's a very high-scoring game, but look, it's the NBA in 2024, and these teams tend to do that to one another. Either way, maybe you put the money on a little something easier, big money line or something like that. The Pacers are hosting the Pistons, minus 650. That's good. Beyond those game bets, you also have live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more over at FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Closing out the show. The Suns play the Mavericks tonight at 7 o'clock Pacific. Catch every basket on the hometown broadcast with John Bloom and Tim Kempton. On SiriusXM or the SXM app, just search Suns to check it out. The first role player on our Suns pressure power rankings for the stretch run of the season is Yusuf Nurkic. It's two things. How much can he play? against every team and especially teams that he doesn't match up well with. And I guess a subset of that question, a a next layer of that question is can the Suns find ways to take advantage of him proactively as a tool, as a weapon, rather rather than waiting for the opponent to dictate how Nurkic has to be used, okay? What I mean by that is Stephen Perjohn brought this up a little bit on Wednesday's show as far as using Nurkic as a passer. And I made the joke when we were talking, when I was talking to Stephen, that 
the version of the team that was not very good, that was like a very mediocre 500, sub-500 type of team when Booker and Beal were out, was maybe the version of this team that is sort of looked the most structurally sound, right? Like it, it just sort of, it, it, it fits what we know basketball looks like, right? That version, because it was like, okay, Durant's going to post up or he's going to isolate. Nurkic is going to play Mick from the top of the key as a point center. And everybody else is just going to shoot and cut and hustle and crash the boards and play defense. Ready, set, go. And it made sense. Since then, I think you would have to say that Nurkic's uh, usage as a, as a playmaker, as a real offensive hub, has gone down. Can they find ways to leverage that again? And Steven had a great idea of entering the ball into the post to Nurkic to start certain possessions rather than just when he has a mismatch or when he's really cooking against like Jokic back in December or something like that. Can you really just get the ball down the court quickly, enter it to him, make the help come and have him operate as a passer where now all of the big three are there to space the floor or attack a closeout or do whatever they need to do. And then on the defensive end, how do you maximize him while he's out there? Right? The the it's not always going to be an option to say, okay, we're playing Sacramento. Nurkic just like you know, Billy Donovan said once upon a time, can't play Cantor, right? It can't be that. They have to they have to figure it out against Nurk or with Nurkic. He's going to have to play pretty regular minutes no matter what the opponent is, because the Suns just don't have enough other options. So can they play zone? Can they continue to execute him blitzing and hedging out onto the perimeter so that even if um, an opposing big might be an offensive threat, the team defense protects him, right? That's how Jokic plays. That's how Sabonis plays. Can, and the Suns do that with Nurkic a lot. Can they, can they achieve it at an even higher level? Those are the things I'm watching. That's why I think there's a lot riding on his ability to do all of that and be a an impactful, positive piece, even though we know he's not going to be playing 40 minutes a night like the other stars, he does need to play, and he needs to play well. Next, Royce O'Neal. First off, can Royce O'Neal earn a starting spot on this team? I'm not worried about his offense at all. But because I think he can, he can move the ball, I think he'll make some hustle plays like offensive rebounds and timely cuts, timely rotations to move into space to set himself up for an open three off of you know a broken play or a collapsed defense, things like that. I, I think he's been in the league long enough. He's been on high-level offensive teams in Utah and in Brooklyn that I think it'll just click. We've already seen it. But he has to guard at a certain level to make himself worth that spot because even the peak of what Royce O'Neal is offensively is nowhere near the peak of what Grayson Allen is offensively. The difference is their defense and that difference is only there if Royce's defense is really running high, right? So like for me, it's, it's almost just a schedule thing, right? First game Thursday night. Mavs. I don't know if Royce is going to start this quickly off the bat, but can he guard Luka? 
on Sunday, can he guard LeBron? The next Sunday, can he guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander? What does he do against the Nuggets? Probably more of you're looking for him to use his length and his IQ to, to make some team defensive plays, deflection, steals. Saturday, March 9th against the Celtics. Can he defend Jason Tatum, right? Like, these are the things that I'm looking at. And if he can, then that gives you a lot of optimism that in a playoff environment, guys like Kawhi or Shea or Anthony Edwards, Brandon Ingram, or again, Luka, that you have a good option against those guys because he will have proven it. And he needs to, to earn Vogel's trust, to balance this team out a little bit and, and give them a higher defensive floor and do what he was brought in to do when they made a, a pretty significant trade to get him, right? Lastly, so I'm not including Grayson Allen in here. I don't really think there's a lot of pressure. I'm not including Thaddeus Young. My expectations are tempered. I think he can play a role in certain matchups if things come together, but I'm not saying he has to. Josh Okoge, we kind of know what that is. So closing us out here is Eric Gordon. To me, a healthy, aggressive Eric Gordon puts the Suns over the top. Flat out. I would love to see some sort of ESPN stats and info type of thing. I can probably do a version of it right here. Of what the Suns are record-wise when Gordon scores 20 or more. Yeah, and that's, I'm already there. Nine and one. They're nine and one when he scores 20 or more points. Like, you know, even if you look at it as 10 or more shot attempts, they have only lost eight games out of 24 that he has attempted 10 or more field goals in. So what is that? Uh, 16 and eight. That's just exactly what I'm talking about. There may not always be enough to go around. If Durant has 40 or 50 in a playoff game, if Booker has 40 or 50, if Beal does have one of those games where he scores 30 and we're talking about, you know, 90 combined or something from the big three, well, they don't need Gordon to do that anymore. But it's all about the mindset. Go into games expecting. I'm taking 10 shots. I'm taking every open three that comes my way and I'm trying to score 20 points. If he has that mindset, to enter games when he checks in in that first quarter for Beal for now. We'll see what the rotation looks like if O'Neal does eventually start. Then that that just honestly makes the Suns feel really, really unguardable. Gordon is an aggressive transition three-point shooter, which I think will help the pace of this team. And he knows how to make the right play when he's in that mindset and trying to be aggressive. He can make the right pass. He can get downhill sometimes. He does draw fouls because he's so big. It would go a long way. To me, his defense is, is underrated, I think, by Suns fans still, but it's, it's really in an off-ball defensive role, right? If he can switch on to somebody bigger, if he can you know, contain a, a, a cut or a drive... If he's guarding the point of attack, if he's having to navigate screens, it's not going to go well. So there is a little bit of scheming you have to do, and he might be exploitable in the playoffs. He might be exploitable in some of these big games that will decide seeding. But 
because of O'Neal being here now and Grayson Allen's breakout and even a Kogi being an option and staying on the team past the deadline and Thaddeus Young, if you think about a huge lineup, maybe that and Durant and Nurkic all play. I don't know. They have options is the point, which means Gordon doesn't always have to be out there to close games the way that we maybe thought all the way back in October before Allen got here, before any of this other stuff that he might. And lastly, I think, you know, something to watch down the stretch with him is could a smaller role help, right? Could a smaller role in terms of minutes, in terms of minutes, and that might mean that the 10 shots a game and the 20 points is harder to come by, right? Like I'm looking at the, those same games I was just measuring the wins and the losses in. And it's like, yeah, he's playing 30 plus minutes and a lot of those 20 plus minutes and a lot of those that might not always be possible. But again, that should be the mindset. And if he has that mindset and is put in a position to succeed from a lineup and a scheme standpoint, and he only has to play 15 to 20 minutes, to me, I would expect a more aggressive scoring, a better, uh, more engaged, more physically overwhelming defensive version of Gordon. So I hope we see that when these new guys get acclimated and his spot in the pecking order ticks down. But offensively, he has a higher ability than O'Neal or Thad Young or any of these other guys. They need that. They got it. They signed him for a reason, right? They've empowered him as one of sort of the leaders of this team for a reason. And so I want to see it. That'll wrap us up. One more show to close out the week. Will not be after the Mavs game because I'm boarding a flight mid-game to fly overseas to the UK. I'm feeling guilty. I will be connected via subtext again, so sign up there if you haven't. The last show of the week will be a preview of the Suns, of the Mavs, Rockets, and potentially the Lakers games as well. That will be coming Thursday afternoon or so, so keep an eye out for that one. And then I will be back the following. I will miss all of next week, and I will be back the week after that. So Suns Thunder March 3rd is going to be an awesome game. I will be covering that one for you immediately after the buzzer like always so you're missing a little bit from me it's not the end of the world sign up for subtext i will try to move through the week without feeling guilty on my trip because it's middle of the season and i feel weird about it but don't worry i'm not going anywhere hit follow or subscribe get a new show march 3rd and i will talk to you guys tomorrow and then after that following that thunder game